when you hear that song and you think about the God that sits behind that song. I'd like to ask you just a question this morning. It's like, what, what is your, you know, the, the, the prevailing, the, the number one, the default mode when you think of the word God? You're sitting on my black chair, you know, in my office where I charge you $150 an hour to come see me, and uh, I have a notepad in my hand, and, and I show you pictures, and you respond to things, and you think it helps you. You know, you know that kind of thing? So I say, God, and you say, well, what immediately pops in your mind? When I first heard that song, I thought about the image of God as a, uh, someone who's having a garage sale, who you can barter with. You know, it's like you've got uh, three bucks on this item that probably cost $99 four years ago, and you want it for a buck fifty. You know, and, and so, you may, are you one of those garage sale people? You, know, you never pay, you know, never pay the price on the tag at the garage sale. Never, ever, you know. I mean, I used to have a friend who ran a car dealership, and his motto was he never paid uh, any, any price for anything um, that was sort of the announced price. I mean, he, and he would literally bargain in, inside a department store with people. All the time. I, what if I buy two of these shirts? Can I get them, you know, it's, it's 15 bucks. Can I get, get two for 25? I mean, it's just, just ridiculous. But what about you in terms of your understanding of, of who God is? Maybe, maybe God is the God, he's the police officer who never gives a warning ticket. You ever been stopped for speeding? Anybody? Anybody out there? Stop for speeding? Really? You ever drive in Pleasant Valley? <laughs> Come on. You know that, that, that moment when, when you're stopped and you're just like, oh, oh, gosh. Your heart's racing and you're wondering, do I, I have my registration? Do I have my insurance? You know, you're fumbling through all the papers in your glove box, you know, to find. Why do they call it a glove box anyway? You don't put gloves in there anymore, but, you know. That's um, where I hold my gun. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and you're fumbling through to get that, you know, those papers, and, uh, and you're just hoping against hope that you get that police officer that has a heart, that is just going to warn you that you know, not coming to a complete stop at that stop sign or failing to signal when you change lanes or turn or something like that, or that light was was actually not yellow, it was orange when you went through it. Might even have been a little red, you know? Or five miles over the speed limit is still breaking the law. That the, the whole seven miles over, you get this grace period thing, is, is kind of a bogus thought that most of us have. And so you're hoping, oh, please, 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 just give me a warning. Just give me a warning. I won't do it again, I promise. But, you know, every one of us has a vision of who God is. And, and as we approach this idea of there being a creator of this universe, someone who started it all, if there can be purpose in this world, and if we can find value and meaning in living intentionally, living with purpose, then 
it may take a while, but we could run that back. There's got to be some intelligent design that starts this world. It's not just all random. What's the character of that first mover? What is the character of what the Bible calls Yahweh, the God of Israel, Elohim, and hundreds of other names put upon the being, the creator God? So it's not so much the name that you put on, but it's the feeling you have when you approach him. When you come toward him and, and you want to have a face-to-face relationship. It's fascinating in that song, it suggests that you have to die to have a face-to-face relationship with God. And I would suggest that the Indigo's girl's theology is, is whacked. You know, it may have come from smoking too much something or drinking too much something or whatever, but, but it, it's just, it just whacked because the Bible clearly says that you and I, when we enter into a relationship of trust with God, we get the right to become the children to see ourselves as God's children and have a face-to-face relationship with him. That's the beautiful nature of living in this world relating to a God who we can't touch or see or feel. But trusting that God can be difficult based on how we frame him, how we look at him in our lives. I just want to camp out today on on just one single verse in in the Bible. It's in the the first half of the Bible. It's the part of the Bible that's sometimes referred to as the Old Testament or the Older Testament. And I have the the version that I use uh, and read from. It's the the New International Version. Um, And and I, I love that version. But today... I want to use my phone, and if if you've never been on your phone with a Bible app, there's numerous good ones out there. Um, UVersion has has a great series, all of them, Bible Gateway. They all have an opportunity to have many, many different versions. Uh, You can read them, or most of them will read the passage to you if you're you're interested. If you're more of an auditory learner and you like to hear things rather than see things, then it'll just read it to you. But in Psalms, which is a, a, a series of, of um, songs, basically, the word psalm means song, and, and it's a series of songs written mostly by David, who was a king in Israel, the second king, but but not all of them. Moses wrote some of them and a number of different people that we don't know really know who they were, but they put their names on them. But in that passage, in this, this, this psalm, David gives us his view of God, how he frames God. What is God like to David? Now, it'd be interesting for you if you wanted to go back and just um, look at uh, just Google King David in the Bible or something like a Bible versus a king. And read all of the stories about King David because uh, hearing this verse, knowing his history, just gives huge meaning to this because David's life had a sense of tragedy to it. 
David has a very public affair in which he bears a child out of, out of wedlock with this, this lady and he kills her husband. Um, I mean, just you think about it, it's, it's, like, uh, um, it's like Yellowstone or something, you know? It just, it just, David knew, you know, David knew that um, what it was like to take someone to the train station. Can tell those of you who watch Yellowstone. <laughs> Trust me, you do not want to go to the train station. Right? So, it, it, David also um, was someone when he it was pointed out to him the evil in his life, the sin, the, the the way in which he had departed God's ways. David immediately was brokenhearted. And he gives us a beautiful picture of what it's like to confess before God. Two psalms in the Bible are David's complete confession about what happened with he and Bathsheba and Uriah and all that crap that went down. And he just pours out his heart. But in Psalm 58, he gives us his picture of God. In just one verse, he draws a, a frame around what he thought about when he thought about God. He says this. He says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You ever thought that God doesn't even care about you? You ever thought that, that you are just some speck of dust in the universe floating around that, that just, you know, you're at the end of the proverbial sewer pipe and everything just comes down on you? And no one really cares. Now, I can't say that, that that might be true at some times, humanly speaking. But what I understand David saying here, and I think it's true of David, it's, if it's true of David, it's true of you and I. That God has a bottle collection in heaven. Now, I, I don't know how many of you know my wife very well, but... But Candy is an artist. She's responsible for all this stuff up here. And she can make, you know, something out of nothing. It's crazy. If you go in my garage, it's actually not my garage. It's really her garage. She has a bottle collection. And uh, many of you have contributed to it. Uh, very often, you know, I will find cardboard boxes full of, of uh, peach crown on, uh, not, not, the bottles aren't full, but they're empty. You emptied them, but you gave me the empty bottles. And you, you declare that this is a year's worth of stuff. And I know, and you know that's not true. It's a total lie. Um, but, but my wife takes those bottles, and she does stuff with them. She breaks them, cuts them, does all kinds of crazy things with them, and, and, and makes things. So if you walk into her side of the garage, you will see this bottle collection, just huge, all kind, and they're, they're nicely arranged in colors and, and all, all kinds of stuff. 
Um, and and it's, uh, it's a collection. And, and I think when I see it, I, I think of what happens in heaven. There is a bottle collection in heaven. And one of those bottles has your name on it. And it's where God collects your tears and records your sorrows. He, he is intimately aware of the deepest pain the bitterness of betrayal, the anguish of despair. He is aware of all of that. And oftentimes in the midst of that pit of despair, how we frame God depends on how we move toward him. If he's that garage sale person, we bargain with him. If he's that cold-hearted officer who's going to not give us the warning, we beg him. Or sometimes we just don't even move toward him because we think he's the judge and I'm in the wrong and the last thing I want is justice. And nothing could be further from the truth. God does have justice deep in his character. But at the core of our Father in heaven is generosity. Think, think about this for a moment. What does it mean to be generous? It means to give away things. It means to, to meet the world and, and be willing to invest, be willing to let go, to give. And at the core, what holds the creator God in heaven together is the idea that he is generous. He gave his son so that you and I could be his children as well. He extends his hand in the midst of our pain by collecting our sorrows and tears and putting our name on a bottle so as that we might invite him into the deepest, darkest pain that we have. Whether it's self-inflicted or not, it's not a big deal to him. You may have gotten yourself in that situation. You may have drank yourself into um, an addiction that, that you cannot find your way out of. And you finally hit bottom. Guess what? God is there. You may have torn up a relationship, thrown away a marriage... In the midst of that, God is there. You may be solely, so addicted to pornography, you can't pull yourself away. It's just like a tractor beam, and it just pulls you to it, and you can't find. You realize that God wants to be right there in what you think of as the nastiest place in your life. God wants to show up at that moment. He wants to collect your tears. He wants to record your sorrows. He wants to engage where you are. And oftentimes in the midst of, of those moments, we think that there are rules for prayer. There are rules for communicating with God. What can you say and can't you say about God? Now, I grew up as a, as a military brat. And so... 
My father, he was an enlisted man in the military. And so early on, I was taught uh, how to be respectful, especially to rank. Uh, I understood stripes here, but also understood when things go up here. When you get like, you know, maple leaves and bars and stars and all that kind of stuff up here, it, it meant something radically different. And, and, and you approached it with greater respect and a sense of, of understanding that it wasn't the person necessarily, but it was, it was these things. And so oftentimes we think of God that way. We think of the, what, what's the rules here? If I could just get you to get your fingerprints on the Bible a little more, you would discover that the reality is there are absolutely no rules in communicating with God. Take, for instance, Jeremiah, one of the great, great spokesmen for God in the first half of the Bible. Jeremiah was this guy who, who, uh, who, who did amazing things, God's mouthpiece speaking to Israel, but in chapter 20 of his writings, Jeremiah comes along and says to God, I wish I'd never been born. Why did you let me live? My life sucks following you. I mean, Jeremiah just comes unhinged at God. Lightning bolts don't come from heaven. Jeremiah still lives. In fact, after Jeremiah finishes his temp temper tantrum in verse 20, and, and he's got all of that gall that was deep inside of him out, Jeremiah comes to God and says, okay, okay, put me back in, coach, I'm ready. Because Jeremiah was used of God sort of in a five-movement symphony to speak to Israel. And every time he was speaking to Israel, he was giving them a message they did not want to hear. And they showed Jeremiah their displeasure, sometimes by physically assailing him. And he knew it would happen again. And it happened again and again and again. And so he looked at the, the life that God had called him to, and he knew that physically speaking, it sucked. But he was willing to trust God and move forward. But not before he told God how he felt. He, he, he gave God his complete authentic feeling. That's the rule in talking to God. It's authenticity. Now think for a moment with me, this, this, this is, I mean, it makes complete sense, and it's like the duh of the decade, you know, in this sense. The God of the Bible is all-knowing. So he knows more about you than you know about yourself. All right, so, so he, he's so completely aware of you to the depths that you aren't even aware of. And so then when we come to God and we think we can't be authentic, it's like we're afraid to tell God what he already knows. You see, God's interested in us understanding and agreeing with him. And we can't agree with God unless we tell him what we know because he already knows it. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's that moment just like a child. I remember I have four children, 
<laughs> I do remember I have four children. <laughs> That's an amazing thing in itself. Of itself. But, uh, and, and I remember it, it, in a moment when we would discover that, that one of them has lied. And so we would line them up, you know, in a firing squad range, you know. And, and, and we would begin to, you know, question them, you know, bah, you know and stuff. And um, we, we knew they'd lied, but what we wanted was we wanted them to <clears throat> say the same thing as us. Tell us what happened. That's all God wants. And he's not even lining us up in a firing squad line, is he? No, he's over there collecting our tears and our sorrows. He's recording our sorrows in a book, and he's collecting our tears in a bottle. And he's eager for our hearts to meet his heart. For us to tell him what he already knows, that meeting of the hearts, not the minds, but that meeting of the hearts is the chemistry of what the Bible calls grace. When I learn to be authentic with God, when, when I learn to tell him what he already knows, and oftentimes in those moments, that are wet with tears. That the agony that is in the gut that is so deep. We fail to invite God in those moments. We, we fail to, to make him a part of that. Now, if it's because we want him to do something, yeah. I, I remember a night when I got a call. I've talked about it many times here. <clears throat> The nurses from my mother's floor, when she was in the hospital many years ago, called and said, your mother's not going to make it through the night. Come home. I was 350 miles away. I couldn't get home. Ten minutes later, she's dead. But in those ten minutes, Candy and I knelt by the bed and I wept out loud, praying, God, save my mother. I want to tell her I love her one more time. And God said, no. Juanita is coming to be with me. In those times, we often call on God. But it's the other times that we fail when we know that we have driven ourselves into this space. We feel like God doesn't care or doesn't want to be a part of it. And we get convinced our frame of reference for God gets off kilter. We don't invite him to be a part of that. And yet, here's God in heaven collecting each one of those tears, recording each one of those sorrows, waiting, wanting, desiring for us to invite him into that. Authentically, speaking the real me, how I feel, Despite whether we think it has respect and honor for God or not, he longs for us to pray Jeremiah prayers. Abundantly authentic. And it's on that ground that we discover that this four-letter word, pray, takes on a totally different meaning. It, it takes on a meaning of, of connection. And so this idea of having a face-to-face -face relationship with God starts to be real. 
And we discover that 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 idea of trusting what he says, getting the right to become a child of God makes it possible to not just wait for a face-to-face relationship when we die, but to have one right now. To have one in a moment of our agony, our frustration, and our hopelessness, and our deep anxiety, and our sense of being life being out of control, and we're not sure what's going to happen. And when we lose that, there's only one other place to turn. To a Father in Heaven who never loses control. Who's never anxious about anything. Who's willing to engage in the journey, not just the destination. So this morning, I want to invite you to a new level of relationship with God. I want to invite you to to think about what it would be like to be authentic with God in my ugliest, dirtiest moments in life. I want to invite you to a, a level of relationship with God in your hopeless moments in life, in those lives of deep anxiety, those, those moments when, when it seems like no one cares. When it seems like you're all alone at the end of the proverbial sewer pipe and it all comes down on you. At those moments, there is a Father in heaven who is collecting your tears in a bottle. And he's putting it in his bottle collection with your name on it. He's mindful. He's, he's fully aware. He, he's, he's engaged in what's going. He's recording your sorrows, the pain, the agony that you go through. He's recording those things from the smallest little level of anxiety to the deepest. He's recording that. He's journaling on your life. Imagine what it would be like to join him in that journal. To to join him in the opportunity of, of saying the same thing with him and finding life even in the midst of whatever emotion we might feel. That's what David did. In his worst nightmares, David committed adultery, had a child out of wedlock. He killed the husband of this lady. And and yet, in the midst of his deep, deep sorrow, he found God when he had screwed up royally. And so the question for you and I is that how do we frame God? Do you frame him in such a way that it doesn't allow you the the opportunity to invite him into your frustrations, your anxiety, your sense of hopelessness, your sense of boredom in life, your angst and fear and anger? 
all of the stuff that goes on, do you frame him in such a way that, that he doesn't have the opportunity because you've got the door locked. You've got the window closed. You've got the shades drawn. And you keep him from being what he wants to be in your world. You keep him from being there in the midst of that. What's your frame of reference for your, your God? Is that keeping you? Is that keeping you from having that face-to-face -face relationship with God? Let's pray. Father, in our small lives, um, we, we, we struggle. We, we struggle just to, to make ends meet. We struggle to uh, figure out what to do. Um, our souls are disturbed oftentimes. We, we, we're trying to find peace. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find meaning. We're trying to make life make sense. And, and we often do it ourselves. We often just struggle. We, we think we have to reach up to you and yet open our minds, Father, that, that you, in fact, have, have drawn the blinds back. You've opened the windows. You've unlocked the doors. You are ready and willing because you are already collecting our tears. You are already journaling on the angst of our life. You just want us to invite you in to be a part of that. Thank you, Father, for that picture. In Jesus' name, amen.